We're gonna be starting, as I said a minute ago, a brand new message series today called I Doubt It. And by the way, this is a phenomenal series to invite friends, family, neighbors, uh, those who just don't know anything about God, those who maybe hate the church, whatever, people with lots, lots of questions. And this series doesn't really kind of build on each other, so they're kind of standalone. So you can invite people in at any point and they're really gonna get a lot out of it, I think. It's gonna be seven weeks long, so I would encourage you, just be thinking about who in my life, who has God placed in my life that maybe has questions about faith, life, suffering, and let me invite them to come to one of these uh, I Doubt It uh, messages. And what we're gonna be doing is, uh, basically we're gonna be exploring doubt and some of the biggest questions we as human beings tend to have about God and faith and life in general. I'm super excited about this series. I hope you are too. I hope you'll bring a friend next week. Let me just ask you, have you ever uh, wrestled or experienced doubt in some area of your life? Like about anything? I think like most, almost all of us, I would say, we experience doubt in life, don't we? Uh, for instance, for me, every time uh, I hear a weather person come on TV, <laughs> or the radio, and they're like, we're gonna get a foot of snow, or we're gonna get 18 inches of snow, it's gonna be awesome, and my, my first response now is, I doubt it, right? I've been let down so many times. I think it's just a coping mechanism that I've developed so I won't be disappointed again. Well, have you ever had doubts like that, or even doubts about bigger questions in life? How about this one? Does God really exist? Or have you ever questioned whether he actually loves you if he does, in fact, exist? Or have you ever thought, like, if God is there and he's good and he's powerful, why does he allow so much suffering and pain in the world? Or how about this one? Um, Is the Bible even reliable? I mean, it's this ancient book, thousands of years old, written by multiple human authors, like, how is that the guide, my ultimate guide to life? Is it, even, is it even reliable? If you can relate to any of those questions or questions like those, I'm glad you're here. That's why we're launching this seven-week series on doubt. Now, the last week, the last Sunday in this series will be June 9th. And on June 9th, we're gonna have a discussion panel up here, and we're gonna be answering your questions. And so what I want you to do over the course of the next four or five weeks is just submit any doubts, big doubts, big questions that you have about life, pain, God. And and here's where I want you to send your questions. It's an email address, it'll be on the screens for you. Take a shot of that with your phone or write it down. It's info at nlcca.org. Info at nlcca.org, or you can write it. You can just write kind of panel discussion and your question on your Connect card, fold it in half, drop it in the two wooden boxes as you leave. What we're gonna do is we're gonna gather, we're gonna compile all of your questions, all of your doubts, and um, we're gonna kinda look for primary themes. And so if there are four or five questions or four or five themes that kinda rise to the top that we see that our congregation, our body here at New Life is really wrestling with, we're gonna tackle those uh, in a discussion panel right here on the stage. So please just be thinking about, some of you already know, you're like, man, I've had the same question for like 20 years, you don't even have to think about it. You can just go ahead and email that bad boy right over or write it down, um, and if you, but some others of you may need to think about it, and that's fine too. So just over the next four or five weeks, 
Shoot us your questions, shoot us your primary doubts, and then uh, we'll take a swing at those um, up here on, on June 9th. Now, my hope is that if you're here as a skeptic, and so maybe you were here last week for the first time, or um, you know, maybe you're even kind of pretending to be a Christian because you have family that expects you to be that way or whatever, but you're deep down in your mind, in your heart, you know, you're, you're a skeptic. Like you just, you're not really sure about all this Jesus stuff, right? Like maybe you're on the fence or maybe you're not even on the fence. You're like, man, I just don't believe that stuff. My, my hope is that you would find this place to be a safe place to ask real questions, to ask deep questions because I believe God offers credible answers. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs in chapter 25, verse two, it says this, it is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. In other words, I believe God wants us to discover truth. He wants us to discover truth about him and the world around us. I believe God encourages discovery in science. I don't think God is up there in heaven going, stop asking so many questions, you freaks. Like, I, I just think that that's kind of the picture a lot of us have about God. He's like up there with a baseball bat, like one more question, I'm taking you out. And that is not the picture we get of God in the scriptures. I think about the story of uh, my, my son, Judah. He's, he's six years old, going on seven, but last, I guess it was last summer, so he's about five. Um, he, was, he was riding his bike, and he was still at, at five. He was u- using training wheels on his bike to stay up. But he's got two older sisters who uh, were not using uh, training wheels. And so he really, like he wanted really badly to be like his older sisters and not to have to use those training wheels. But he was scared to death. Like he had all these questions. Like well, what happens if I can't balance? What happens if I fall? Am I gonna bust my head? Uh, he had all these doubts about his ability to actually pull it off. And so we worked with him for several weeks. We'd go out there and just run around the neighborhood until I couldn't breathe anymore and have an asthma attack. And okay, that's enough for the day. And so we worked with him for a couple of weeks. But then there was one day um, when I was, I was gone at work and I came home and Cheryl had been working with him um, mo- most of the day, and he got it that day. He just got it. So the train wheels were off, and he just, he took off like a bat out of you know where, man. And he's cruising around, and he's, he's super excited. So I get home, and are like, okay, you gotta check this out. You gotta check this out. So we go outside, he gets on his bike, no training wheels, and he just, he takes off. And he's got this huge smile on his face, and he's looking at me like, you see this? Do you see me? He's so proud of himself. He's so excited. He was so pumped up. And look, the only person more excited than he was was me, right? I was like, that's my boy. Yeah, he figured out how to do it. He discovered it. He conquered his doubts. He got over all the questions that he had. I was so excited for him. And I think that's a healthy picture of what our heavenly father is like. Like he delights in us discovering new things and discovering truths about him and overcoming our doubts. I think our Heavenly Father loves that. So let's talk about doubt itself just for a minute, then we'll move in to answering a, a deeper question this morning. Let me ask you this, is doubt wrong? In and of itself, is, is doubt wrong? Is it, is it like a sin? Well, doubt. I think particularly in the church, at least to me, it seems to have a stigma attached to it. I think people with doubts, oftentimes in the church, they feel ashamed. 
because they feel like, well, may, maybe, maybe I don't have enough faith. That's why I have questions. That's why I have doubts. Sadly, I think there are even a lot of churches that discourage hard questions and shut people down with doubts, which in turn just creates more questions and more doubts. Right? One of the primary reasons I believe that statistically somewhere between 60 and 80% of kids who grow up in the American church leave the church at some point in their college years is because they have never actually worked through the why of their beliefs. They've never actually, and it's our fault, by the way. It's our fault because we have the answers and we haven't discipled them in all of these truths. And so the first time they run into like a, an intelligent professor in a college cl classroom that challenges their faith or challenges the, the veracity or the historicity of the Bible, they just kind of crumble because the church has not done a good job of helping them work through the why of our faith. And the fact that we have very solid, very logical reasons to believe exactly what we believe. Listen, friend, God is not ducking your hard questions. And we don't wanna duck hard questions here at New Life either. People are looking for answers and the church of Jesus ought to be the one place where we're wrestling through these doubts and these questions with people. Not trying to suppress them, not ducking from the questions, not running from the questions. And so I wanna start by looking at how Jesus handled people with doubt. How Jesus handled people with hard but legitimate questions. And so if you have a Bible, Go ahead and grab that, open it up, turn it on, head for John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 20. And at this point in John's narrative, Jesus has been raised from the dead, right? That's what we looked at last week. Now, if you missed last week for whatever reason, uh, you can catch that on our app or our website. I would encourage you to go back and watch that, that message. But at this point in the narrative, uh, Jesus has resurrected and he's now appearing in person to his disciples. First, he appears to some of the, the women, the ladies who are his disciples and following him, and then he appears to most of the uh, 11 disciples. But for whatever reason, one of the disciples wasn't with the group um, when Jesus appeared. So Thomas, for whatever reason, I don't, he's out buying milk or eggs or something, and he, he misses it. So Thomas comes back and all the other disciples are going nuts. And uh, that's where we'll pick up. Uh, John 20, beginning in verse 24. This is what uh, John writes. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. So you gotta, you gotta understand this, Thomas, Thomas is one of the 12 disciples. He had spent years with Jesus, years watching him heal people and do all these mind-blowing, miraculous things. 
And all the other disciples come up to Thomas and are like, bro, you're not going to believe this. The women were right. Jesus is actually alive. He has risen from the dead. We just saw him. You missed him like 15 minutes ago. He was here. We talked to him. We touched him. It was him. Thomas, he's alive. And Thomas responded like so many of us respond today. And Thomas's response was, nope. I do not believe unless I see his hands, unless I touch his hands and his side and his wounds and his scar, I will, I will never believe, never. Now, what was, what was Jesus' response to Thomas and his doubt? Does Jesus, does Jesus say to Thomas, depart from me, you faithless coward. I, you, I hope you bust the gates of hell wide open for your doubt. No, he doesn't say any of that. Jesus says, Thomas, friend, come over here. Put your fingers in my hands. Feel my side. See that it's really me and believe, Thomas, it's me. And when Thomas does that, when he does that, his response is one of just astonished awe. And he goes, my Lord and my God, Jesus, it is you. It is you and I believe. See, Jesus invites Thomas to explore his doubt and then he gives him sufficient evidence to believe. And that's beautiful. Listen, friend, God is not hiding from you this morning. He's not hiding from you. He wants you to know him. And sometimes all we have to do is ask God for the help to believe what is true and then open our eyes to see all of the evidence around us. Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples. What about John the Baptist? Do you guys remember him? John the Baptist, one of the baddest dudes in all the Bible, right? He goes out into the wilderness. Picture John as being a little bit crazy, a little bit wild-eyed, right? He wears camel, for, camel hair for clothes. He's out there eating bugs in the wilderness, just preaching to everybody that Jesus was coming. Repent of your sins. Jesus is coming. And the guy draws this huge crowd. Apparently, he's a phenomenally gifted speaker. He's really charismatic. He's baptizing tons of people in the Jordan River. And then one day, Jesus shows up and John turns to all of his followers and he says, listen, y'all better stop following me. Don't follow me. He's the one. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. You guys don't look to me. You look to him. Remember that guy? Well, our boy, JB, John the Baptist, man, he gets arrested after that. Gets arrested, he's sitting in prison, he's about to be executed, and uh, I wanna read this story from that point forward. Luke 7, this will be on the screens for you. Luke 7, beginning in verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, that's Jesus, saying, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the man had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Now listen, the last person in the world you would think would ever have doubts about Jesus is who? John the Baptist. But he gets arrested. He's about to die. And John is now thinking like, this is not how I pictured things going down. 
I don't know what John had in his head. Maybe he, he was kind of thinking, like, I'm going to point everybody to Jesus. I'm going to become his right-hand man, and we're going to travel the world, man. It's going to be beautiful. Or at least I'm going to be one of his disciples. It's going to be, it's going to be this awesome thing. But that's, that's not what happened. And so he's sitting in jail, and he's like, man, this is not how I pictured life going. And isn't that what happens to many of us? We go through tough times in life. We go through trials in life. We go through pain in life. And doubt begins to seep into our hearts. And all of a sudden, we're not so sure about this Jesus guy anymore. If he's going to let us suffer like this. Am I wrong? Isn't that what happens to so many of us? And so John the Baptist is sitting in prison and he's confused. And he sends a couple of his disciples to Jesus to ask him, Hey, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Savior? Because I didn't picture myself right here. Should we look for somebody else? So you can kind of picture John's, John's disciples, you know, they're like kind of sheepishly like come up to Jesus like, hey, Jesus, ah, oh, man, I hate, hate to bug you. I know you're really busy, but you may have heard John, John got arrested. John, John got busted. He's actually sitting in prison, and he's like, he's freaking out a little bit. He doesn't know what's going on, and so he just, he sent us, and he wants to know, are you the one? Are you the one, or should we keep looking for someone else? Verse 21. In that hour, he, Jesus, healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind received their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, go tell my brother John that all the evidence confirms my identity as the Messiah, as the Son of God. Now notice, Jesus didn't balk at John's doubt or his questions. Jesus doesn't turn to the crowd and say, be careful that you don't end up like John. John who sells out every time something gets hard in his life. Don't be like John the doubter. That's not what Jesus did. In fact, later in the same exact, exact chapter, Jesus looked at the crowd and he says, there is no one born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. See, John, John didn't sideline himself. John didn't disqualify himself from being used in God's kingdom because he had questions. Jesus says, send the evidence back to John. Send the evidence back. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. Lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised to life, and the poor hear the good news of the coming kingdom of God. Send him all of the evidence so that he might believe. Listen, friend, God is not intimidated by your doubt. In fact, I would say this, and this is our, our first truth this morning. Write this down if you take notes. Number one, doubt can actually fuel your faith. Doubt can fuel your faith if if you seek truth from the right source. It's okay to ask hard questions. It's okay to express doubt. Doubt can actually be healthy if we will allow it to push us, to press us towards discovery and faith. It really just becomes unhealthy when we park there and we begin to live in a place of doubt with no resolution Hard questions, doubt can actually drive us to a deeper walk with Jesus. Isn't that what we see with John the Baptist? Isn't that what we see with Thomas? 
So let's begin to work through some of these tough doubts and these tough questions together as a faith family over the course of the next seven weeks. So yes, this series is for the skeptic with real questions. If that's you, man, we are so happy that you're here. But look, the reality is this series is also for those of us who already believe. It's for those of us who already follow Jesus because if we're being really transparent this morning, there are a lot of Christians that have real questions and troubling doubts as well. Now, if you're here and you're in the place where you don't really struggle all that much with doubts, like you've been a follower of Christ for so long and you've kind of done the hard work of pressing through and working through those tough questions, man, that's awesome. Thank God for the work that he's done in your life. But hopefully this series will allow you, will help you to engage with people around you, with people in your life that are still struggling with legitimate doubts and real questions. So I think there's gonna be something um, for you in this series, no matter where you are on the doubt scale, or no matter where you are in your spiritual journey. Now, I gotta say this, full disclosure, before we really get into the, the meat of this the next seven weeks, full disclosure, all my cards on the table, uh, we don't have all the answers here. Um, I don't have all all the answers. So I hope that that's not a a massive disappointment let down to you. Um, But what I've discovered is, listen, there there are some mysteries that we just have to learn to to hold in tension on on this side of eternity, right? Because we we are finite beings with finite minds and it is impossible for us to fully understand or comprehend the beautifully complex and the profoundly deep mind of God, just like it would be impossible for a fire ant in your backyard to understand your mind, right? But I do think that God has powerful answers to some of life's most pressing questions. He offers compelling evidence through his word and through his world for why we should believe that the message of Christ is actually true. Now listen, this is a big one. I think this is a misconception out there, period. But I I think it's also kind of seeped into the church a bit. But a lot of people have this impression that that the opposite of faith is doubt. And so the, the problem with that is when people say, well, I got doubt. And if that's the opposite of faith, that must mean that I can't have faith, that I can't follow God, that I can't follow Jesus. But the problem with that is that's not true. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is disbelief. And there is a massive difference between the two. So now that we've established that doubt is not inherently wrong, let's address one of the biggest questions humans have wrestled with throughout history and still struggle with to this day. And maybe you've wrestled with some version of this question Uh, If you haven't, chances are there are tons of people in your life that are wrestling with this right now, and and here it is. Number one, does life have purpose? Does life have purpose? Does it even matter? And I think one of the very first steps to answering most of our questions and doubts starts with answering the foundational question of purpose. Like, why am I here? Is there a point at all? Am I a part of a bigger story? Does my life matter like at all, even a teensy little bit in the grand scheme of things? 
Like all other questions and doubts really flow from this one. And until we answer this, we're going to have a really hard time working through anything else. Because if we don't know if life even has an ultimate meaning, how do we answer the most simple questions of life that we all have? Like when I graduate from high school, what college should I go to? Who should I marry? What job, when I graduate from college, what job should I take? Should I stay in my unhappy marriage? What should I do with all my financial trouble? Like, should I sell a kidney on the black Chinese market? Should I become a mule for the Mexican cartel so I can pay for my kids' braces? Like, just normal questions like that that we all have. <laughs> or is that just me? You know? <laughs> we, we have to understand purpose before we can even start answering those types of questions. For the record, uh, mule for drug cartel, bad idea. Bad idea. Now, selling an organ, on the other hand, might be a good idea, just saying. Not that I would propose that. But I wanna share with you a few quotes about purpose uh, from some really famous people, and these will be on the, the screens for you, okay? The first one is from Leo Tolstoy. He's one of, apparently one of the greatest writers of all time. This is what Leo has to say when it comes to life and purpose. Leo says, then what is life for? To die? To kill myself at once? No, I'm afraid. To wait for death until it comes? I fear that even more. Then I must live. But what for? In order to die? Ernest Hemingway wrote, life is just a dirty trick. A short journey from nothingness to nothingness. Henry David Thoreau said, the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. Are these guys right? Is life little more than waiting for death with no real meaning or purpose and nothing at all beyond death? That's depressing. And we could all just go jump off a bridge after this service if that's true and just get it over with. Or does God have anything at all to say about this massively important question? Well, as a matter of fact, he does. And in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, one of the wisest, wealthiest men to ever live, King Solomon, explored this very question of ultimate purpose in great detail. Now, at some point, we're gonna do a series on Solomon, just like the one we finished on David, uh, maybe even next year, because he's a fascinating guy. But for now, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon goes on this kind of insane quest to find purpose in life, right? And so he literally tries everything under the sun. So he tries everything that riches can buy him. He tries the best, uh, most famous, uh, just world-renowned entertainment, the scriptures tell us he has 700 wives and 300 concubines, and so he explores sexuality uh, like nobody in history. He builds all these exquisite gardens and palaces. He dines on the, the world's best food and wine. He tries everything under the sun. And his conclusion, after trying everything that this world has to offer, is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. It'll be on the screens for you. This is what Solomon says after trying it all. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Your translation may say vanity. It's the same thing. It's all, it's all vanity. It's all meaningless. 
In other words, none of it satisfies that deep thing in all of us that longs to be satisfied by something outside of us. And Solomon says, man, I tried it all. I tried it all, and it all failed me. It all failed me. No purpose. No meaning. No satisfaction. No happiness there. That's his ultimate final conclusion. I read uh, this week about an athlete who reached the pinnacle of his sport and uh, somebody was interviewing him and asked him, hey, what, what's something you wish somebody had told you um, at the beginning of your uh, playing career? Listen, this is his response. Listen to his response. He replied, I wish that someone would have told me that when you reach the top, there's nothing there. I had a friend um, after the first service send me this uh, interview with uh, Tom Brady, the world-famous kind of quarterback for the New England Patriots. This is an interview that uh, Brady gave in, in 2005 on 60 Minutes, and they were asking Tom Brady about his success uh, on and off the field, and uh, what he said, his, his response was, was kind of shocking to everybody. Here's a guy who's married to a supermodel, has more money than he'll ever be able to spend in his life. And this is his response, won multiple Super Bowl rings. He says, there, there are times when I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have uh, three Super Bowl rings and still I think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is, this is what it is. I reached my goal, I reached my dream, my life, but me? I thank God, it's gotta be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I, I've done it, I'm 27, and what else is there for me out there? So I just wonder, where are you at with all of this this morning? What would you say the purpose of your life is? Is there a purpose? Do you even think about it, or have you already given up on the huge, most important questions in life? Or even if you would profess to believe, do you live your life as if there was a God? See, there are a ton of people out there that would claim to believe intellectually in a God, but they live as if there is no God. We actually have a term for this group of people. We call them practical atheists. And I would venture to guess in a room this size, there are probably more than a few of you that would fall into that category. You would say, yeah, Chris, I believe. Man, I believe there's a God out there. Yeah, I look around, I can see creation. I'm not dumb, I know there's a creator behind all this intelligent design. I believe in a higher power, but your life is absolutely no different than that of an atheist. And I would just say to you, if that's you, friend, listen, that, that is not the purpose that God has for your life. There is more, there's so much more for you. And here's the, here's the good news, life is not purposeless. And life is not meaningless. In fact, in the book of Genesis, the first book, very first book of the Bible, Genesis tells us that when God created us, humanity in the garden, he created us in his image. We call this doctrine, the doctrine of Imago Dei, in his image. We are the only thing in all of creation that was made, created in the very image of God himself. And Genesis tells us that we were created, are purposed 
to live in fellowship and relationship with God and one another as we multiply and expand his kingdom to the ends of the earth. Solomon, later in the same book of Ecclesiastes, he would write this in chapter three. This will be on the screens for you. Solomon writes, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Listen to this. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. What Solomon is saying is, listen, we all have purpose. We all have purpose, but our purpose is wrapped up in knowing God. There is meaning. There is purpose, not just in this life, but also in eternity. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew's gospel, chapter 24. That's what Jesus says. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed or dressed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these th- all of these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, now tune in here, verse 33. He's gonna kick us over to our purpose. Jesus, verse 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus turns and he looks at all this sea of people that are there to hear him teach. And he goes, look, you guys think that you're going to find purpose. You think you're going to find meaning. And you think you're going to find happiness by chasing better clothes. Or by buying a nicer car. By having more money. But I'm telling you, that's not where you're going to find your purpose. That is not where you're going to find your meaning, your joy, or your happiness. Your purpose is to be known and loved by God and in turn to know and love him back as you live in this great adventure called life on mission with him. And that is our second and final truth this morning. Number two, your life has incredible purpose in God's kingdom. Your life has incredible purpose in God's kingdom. Listen, there, there, I promise you, there is no better feeling, there is nothing more satisfying in life than knowing and being known by the God of this universe as you live on mission with him. Nothing. And like Solomon, like many of you, I listen, I, there have been seasons of my life where I have chased hollow idols. Idols that promised me life and happiness and satisfaction, but instead they only delivered empty regret and pain. Listen, friend, God has a greater purpose for you. He has a greater purpose for you. 
He has a greater purpose for your marriage. He has a greater purpose for your family. He has a greater purpose for your life and ultimately greater purpose even for your eternity. As we close, I want to just invite you to, to bow your heads with me for a minute as, as the band comes and we're gonna pray and then we're gonna sing. But, but I wanna invite you to do one thing before we do all of that. And I, I'm just convinced, again, in a, in a church our size, in a room that's this full, I, I'm convinced there, there are some of you, there are probably many of you who have never done this. You, you've never done this. And, and some of you are, are deceived because you grew up in church and you're religious and you believe in God and a higher power and you know all the right Sunday school answers and you know stuff about the Bible but you have never actually just submitted your life to Jesus. You've never just given over everything to him. And so that's, that's my invitation for you. If, you. if you have never done that, whether you grew up in church or whether this is your first Sunday to ever walk in church doors, my invitation, I believe, Jesus' invitation to you this morning would be to embrace your God-given purpose through Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand, life is not pointless. Life is not purposeless. You're not here just wasting oxygen until your date with death. Your eternity is not to become worm food. Don't believe the lies. I want to close by, by reading some words from King David in, uh, in Psalm 57. And maybe for you, if that's the place that you're at and you're like, man, yeah, Chris, that's me, man. I, I know some of the stuff, man. I know church. I know about God. I never have embraced my purpose through Jesus. And I'm just flailing through life and I'm just drifting through life and there's no real meaning and there's no real purpose. If that's you, maybe make David's prayer your prayer in Psalm 57. This is what David writes. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who, listens to this, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. King David is saying, I have purpose my life has meaning, but it's rooted and tangled up in God. Verse three, he, God, will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. You've been created for more. You've been created for so much more, loved ones. So much more. But that purpose, that abundant life that Jesus promised, that is only found in knowing and being known by God as you start to live out this adventure that he has for you. And so my question as we close is this, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? You say, I've grown up in church, I've been here for 34, I don't care. Have you ever started this journey with Jesus? I'm not talking about being religious. I'm talking about knowing God, the creator of this universe, 
and having a real, authentic experience with the God of this universe through his son, Jesus Christ. That is your ultimate purpose. And until you find that, you are going to drift through life and you are going to be miserable and you are going to be unhappy and you are going to be unsatisfied all the days of your life. Your happiness, your purpose is wrapped up in knowing him and living on mission with him and nothing else. So what are you waiting for? Listen, friends, this, this life is short. This life is so short. Begin to live your purpose now. Not tomorrow. Not when you think you got your life all together. Not when you think your life is perfect. Not when you think you got your financial situation pinned out. Not when your family comes into play. Don't wait. Now is the time. The scriptures say today is the day of salvation. Today, right now, this hour, this minute, this second, you can give your life to him. And he can purpose you. He can send you out. And he can give you satisfaction and hope and meaning in this life. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Father, thank you for not condemning us for our questions or doubts. Thank you for inviting us in to your kingdom as doubters, as those who struggle with faith. God, I believe, but help my unbelief, God. Thanks for inviting us in to explore, to discover your truths, to discover you and to see that you are good and you are worthy. God, thank you for giving us purpose. Thank you for giving us meaning, God. Teach us to live in relationship with you. Teach us to live that abundant life in your kingdom that Jesus promised us. And God, for the person here who's never done that, never started that, let them do that now in their own heart. Just cry out to you. Say, God, I need meaning and I need purpose. And I see now that it's found in you. Even though I got questions, even though I got doubts, just like John the Baptist, just like Thomas, I'm going all in. I'm going all in with you. I'm pledging my life. I'm pledging my allegiance to you. That's you. Just pray that right now in the silence of your own heart. The words don't matter. God sees the position of your heart. And Father, we ask all of these things in the beautiful name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing.